Hello, I'm Dr. Mary Wild. Welcome to the Family of Virtues podcast. Thank you for joining me on the Family of Virtues podcast. I would like to take this opportunity to thank our listeners from all over the world who are tuning into these podcasts week in, week out from over 20 different countries now. Your support and encouragement is invaluable to us. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. For more information, please head to familyofvirtues.com slash rate. That's familyofvirtues.com slash rate. And lastly, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Family of Virtues. Hello, listeners. Welcome yet again to the Family of Virtues podcast. It's such an honor to have you here. I'm honored for our next guest this week, Dr. Mary Wild. She is an integrative pediatrician, the owner of Imagine Pediatrics Behavioral Health and Wellness in St. George. She and her husband are the parents to eight sons. Dr. Wild has spent much of her time as a stay-at-home parent. She knows what she's talking about, that's for sure, pursuing her career on a part-time basis to maintain personal and family balance. An author, a frequent podcast guest, a frequent contributor to platforms such as Motherly, Red Tricycle, The Mighty, and Kevin MD, Dr. Wild is a creator of the Compassion Parenting Program, a membership community helping moms find greater grounding, intentionality, and joy in parenting. That's what it's all about. And she has created several online resources, including Overcoming Childhood Anxiety, an online course for kids and teens. Mary, welcome to the podcast this week. Such an honor. Thank you so much, Richard. Mary, tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, such a colorful, uh, you know, such a colorful excerpt, your bio that I just read there. And there's so many things that I could pick on. So please start. Tell us a bit about yourself. Well, when I think of the virtue of compassion, um, Mm. I think of how in my life I've at certain points been at the front lines of Um, delivering compassion and care in an extreme sense. And I feel like so many parents right now are in that situation, having to be the mom, the dad, the educator, perhaps the barber, the, you know, we're having (laughs) to do do everything for our kids. And it it puts us in an extreme caregiving situation. And there was a time in my life where you know, not only I at this time I had seven children. I was pregnant with my eighth child. I was working as a pediatric hospitalist part time, and I was caring for my elderly mother who had just had a stroke, and she needed total care. So, she needed tube feeding, changing, turning, and this period of months was just such a lesson for me in. Yeah finding compassion even amid extreme circumstances. So I I feel very passionate about this topic. Absolutely. No, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, You know, I sent you that whole list and this was the one virtue that you said that you wanted to speak about because it obviously resonates with you. So I'm going to read that first uh, part of the card first, as I always do. And of course, listeners, you all know by now that you can get these cards, um, you know, from the Virtues uh, Project website. Um, And also the electronic versions are available through the Virtues Cards app on um, Play Store and the App Store. So compassion. Compassion is deep empathy for another who is suffering or living with misfortune. It is understanding and caring. 
and a strong desire to ease their distress. Compassion flows freely from our hearts when we let go of judgments and seek to understand. Our compassionate presence helps people to know they are not alone. Sometimes they don't need us to fix anything. They only need us to hear them, to be heard with compassion, so that they can connect to their own inner wisdom. We need our compassion as much as others do. Whether a silent prayer or a gentle touch, compassion is a priceless gift. Hmm. Mary, what speaks out to you there? Well, one thing that I think about when I think of compassion, I know that you've spoken about empathy on this show previously, and even within the definition of compassion, there's this word empathy that mm. comes up. And I thought maybe we could talk just for a minute about absolutely distinguishing between these two. And, sure. you know, perhaps it's a semantic distinction, but as we look at the etymology of these words, compassion is to suffer with, and empathy is being in feeling or in suffering with another. Mm. And, you know, sometimes we speak of compassion fatigue, that, that we can kind of be spent by, by connecting our hearts and opening our hearts to others. But it's also been said that that's more the empathy piece, that if we're actually having compassion, we're standing next to the suffering. We're not actually being engulfed in it. And right. it, it's a place that is more sustainable than yes. pure empathy. Yes. And, and I resonate with that because it's something that, that it says here. Sometimes we don't need to fix anything. They only need to be heard with compassion. It's about being purposeful and intentional, being present with the one who is suffering or who may be in need. And a lot of the times we don't need to say anything to them. We had an episode mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago, you know, with Linda, Linda Kavlin Popov on spiritual companioning. Yes, and a lot I listened yeah. to that. Yeah, really powerful stuff, isn't it? I mean, a lot mm -hmm. of that process is just to be present and, and offer that receptive silence so that mm -hmm. somebody knows that there is somebody that they can trust who's with them, that they can empty their cups out and they can keep talking. So, you know, that, that presence is, is really important, that detachment, if you like, because it's a little hard when you've got, I mean, you've got eight kids. Yes. For, for people, for, for kids to be able to come up to you with their problems and for you to be in a place where you don't need to rescue them, but you need them to tap into that inner wisdom mm -hmm. so that they can come up with these uh, solutions themselves. How do you focus on that? Well, I think, you know, as parents, we all can think of a time when perhaps our child has gotten hurt and we may have a visceral response to that. We, we may actually feel some type of resonating pain for what our child is experiencing, but we have to remember, and this is what I try to do, is remember that I need to stand um, grounded and, and secure as an anchor in order mm. to provide reassurance to my child. So if I'm just completely engulfed in their emotion and I get swallowed into it, yeah. then I'm not able to provide the security and the, the base and foundation. Yeah. So I guess 
you know, by trial by fire of having eight people coming at me asking for <laughs> things and feeling things and needing things, then I've had to create that separateness at the same time as being present. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of, you know, I, I feel the, the reactive nature, you know, of parents sometimes comes with all the stresses and the challenges that they're facing as well. Mm -hmm. and, and the skill or the language of not being able to sort of attend to the needs of the child at that moment, um, that's what makes it really hard. And, and what we don't realize is that, is that our kids are, are observing that. They're observing how we are reacting to these problems. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what gets me a little bit. You know, that, that we don't realize that in these impressionable years, they are realizing how we are coping with these issues. So mm -hmm. let us in a little bit on why we need to be mindful or maybe put on a mask, so to speak. Like, so it, it may really get to us, it may really annoy mm -hmm. us and frustrate us, but to a certain extent, mm -hmm. we've got to be mindful of of. of, of the facade that we show to a child and how we are responding to situations. And I think we have to dig deep to ground our own selves. Mm. And one temptation when we have needs around us can be to sort of shut off where we, out of self-protection, we stop feeling, we stop having that receptivity and openness. Mm. But I think that if we can have a more realistic expectation of ourselves that we truly can feel with our child without having to solve, without having to fix, then, then we can be safe ourselves in this position of being a support person. It reminds me of a quote by Anne Merle Lindbergh. She says, my life cannot implement in action the demands of all the people to whom my heart responds. Mm. And so I think part of it, I, I guess I prefer not to think of it as a facade, but it's, it's a, a true solid base that we connect with. Mm. And, and and we can only do that as our virtues are rooted yeah. themselves. So I think sometimes we tend to take virtues and cut them for the, from their root, you know, from a source, a spiritual source. And I think there's danger in this, kind of like a flower, once you cut it from the stem and stick it in a vase on your table, yeah. it, it's, it can be short-lived. Yeah. Whereas if our virtues are rooted then it's not a facade that yeah. we have this steadiness within us. We just have it because we're connected Absolutely. with the source of that virtue. Absolutely. So, so yeah. that's what so, I that's what I think of. Yeah. So if if you're showing patience, if you're showing tolerance, if you're showing flexibility at that moment in time, it's because you actually have that. It's rooted within you, mm -hmm. um, and and you're choosing to exercise that at that moment in time when you need it. Right. So, so yeah, I hear that loud and clear. I think it's really important. Um, take us through a situation, Mary. Um, you, you've got a lot of examples, a lot of anecdotes, uh, much more than any of us would be fortunate to have. Um, and, and, you know, two kids are different enough within one household, let alone, mm -hmm. you know, eight of them. So obviously you've got a spectrum there. Mm -hmm. um, give us an example 
that parents can sort of relate to. Because right now, compassion is the need of the hour. If we think about our own challenges and stresses, think about the kids too. Yeah, I've got I've got a kid that's entered graduated from preschool and entered year one virtually. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a milestone in a child's life, and he abs- he 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 isn't able to conceptualize that this is the next step for him, mm-hmm. and everything is virtually on a screen, and right. differentiation is difficult in school because obviously at that age level it's not just content oriented. There's so much of skills, even be the ability to write and all of that kind of stuff, which usually gets monitored over the shoulder. Um, you know, by, 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 by teachers. So children are going through this as well. Oh, I'm supposed to get this stuff from the screen and, and I'm supposed to do this. And at the same time, we know that kids of that age are of so many different levels. So they're feeling stressed. They're feeling anxious. And then you've got the older kids, uh, teenagers who are going through their, the particular time in their lives and they're facing their issues as well because we're all social. We want to meet up, but they can't. So... Do you feel or do you see that there is more of um, friction, if you like, between parent and child at this moment and a lack of understanding as to why that is? Well, I think there definitely is more stress happening right now and more of a need for compassion. And so, as I mentioned, one tendency we might have is just to go numb and shut off. Um, mm. and And that's something that we just can't do because then we can't be open and present for the needs of our kids. But what we can do, you know, no matter what anecdote I would share, I think it all comes down to finding that grounding ourselves and that connection to source. So I think about the story of Mother Teresa and how she she said that she would begin her days by getting connected to God's love and then she would spend her day sharing that. And so I think it all starts, no matter what we are to face in the day as a parent, is getting grounded and connected with the source at the beginning. And then no matter what we face, then we can meet it with more skill and more love. Mm. Um, I think that there are really specific ways that we can foster compassion in our children. So more than just focusing on how can we have compassion? Because that's one question. Then there's also how can we foster compassion in our kids? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that maybe we could speak a little bit about those things, about how we can recognize and teach the breakdown skills that go into compassion, Absolutely. both for ourselves and for our children. Yeah. Um, yeah. So some some skills to think about in having self-awareness and this is instructive for our own selves in connecting with our own compassion Mm. um it's having that somatic awareness so often we are so dissociated from our own experience Um, and as a medical student and as a resident you know we we go around sleep deprived we you know haven't properly eaten and we're just going and going and going and it's hard to be compassionate in that depleted state so i think learning ourselves to connect with our own feelings and our own needs um, and then helping our kids to do that will help them be even open to start being aware of the needs of others and 
then also teaching the skill of listening and modeling listening. Yeah. Because if we can't even observe and we can't take in input from the people around us, then there is no information to direct our compassion. We, yeah. we can't even identify the need. Yeah. yeah. And, and then finally, looking at others with a sense of respect and human dignity. Um, and this is, there's a philosopher, Martin Buber, who has written a book called I, Thou, I and Thou. And it's just having this utmost respect for other people around us. Yeah. And, you know, as we can model that and really recognize that our kids, you know, even your um, child who is just beyond preschool age, you know, he is having his own valid experience and his um, tears, his worries, his um, stress that he experiences is, is as valid as your stress that you experience. Perhaps putting together this podcast or or in your own relationships with adults. Absolutely, and yeah. so I think that those are a few ways that we can set ourselves up to be able to be compassionate and then model it for our children yeah. as well. Yeah. I mean, Mary, I think that's, that's uh, you know, really sound advice. And, and I don't think, you know, any of us deny, you know, all of us love our children. Right. We, yes. Yeah, we, we, we all love our children. Mm -hmm. And yet it seems so hard to correlate that to... To real life. <laughs> yeah, to, to real life, right? To, yes. I, I mean, you, you love mm -hmm. children, you mm -hmm. love your own children, but the loving behavior that demonstrates mm -hmm. that love sometimes it's not it's not as apparent mm -hmm. um and and that's where i feel the you know the the complexity lies and i think that's what mm -hmm. you spoke about you know taking care of yourself and your needs so that then you can be rooted in a place where you can you know you can you can give love and you can be if you're compassionate to yourself you can be compassionate to others mm -hmm. but why is it why is it so hard for parents to be able to show compassion mm -hmm. to people of their own mm -hmm. and it's so much more easier to be patient and tolerant to a friend that picks up the phone and just whines about something that you're actually not interested to hear about and you've given them a whole hour um, mm -hmm. just listening to that mm -hmm. whereas your child doesn't even get three or four minutes before you snap right so i, I feel like as if it's there within us yes. but it's selective as to how we apply it Mm -hmm. And we can just be more and more cognizant of that. And we can use our behavior in the more formal settings to instruct our behavior in the more intimate settings. Mm. Because we can sometimes ask, our, ask ourselves, how would I be talking with my child if my boss was in the room or if my neighbor was in the room? And it can, it can be a check. But so often when we have our our guard down a little bit when we're more casual and comfortable then we don't hold ourselves to the best standard sometimes yeah. and and that's unfortunate because truly our greatest investment should be going to our primary sphere instead of to strangers who we don't have a specific name or role with yeah. It's very ironic, but it's so common to have it be so easy to lose patience with the people we love the most. Right. So it's just an exercise in discipline and awareness, I believe. Yeah. 
maybe also to think about how when we were growing up and you know our parents loved us um and and i don't think they meant anything you know bad in the way they spoke to us or dealt with certain things but i'm sure there are things that still to this day we remember right you know think certain things or circumstances that perhaps we didn't appreciate <laughs> the words that were used or the opportunities that may have been denied or something that may have been said so maybe it's time for us to also think back and be reflective about our experiences with our parents mm-hmm. um and to see how we apply it to our children mm-hmm. yeah. definitely and and just to think about what our what we're bringing to each situation we have this history that we bring from mm. our own childhood and our own even just the context of a given day we have that baggage that we bring and so being aware of that but also we bring things like expectations and That's sometimes it. the idea of compassion you yeah. know we think that if we are to stand with someone in and be with them in their suffering that they should somehow respond in a certain way you know and so yeah. sometimes that can lead to impatience we might feel like okay i'm being really kind to you and i'm letting you do this and and <laughs> and i'm being patient with you and yet <laughs> you are doing all these things to making my life difficult and um there's a a list that perhaps i could share it's it's from a book called standing at the edge by joan halifax i i love mm-hmm. this book and this is a a list of phrases that she learned from a Buddhist teacher Sharon Salzberg and these are some words that she would read through when she was feeling at the verge of losing her compassion mm. she would say these things may i offer my care and presence unconditionally knowing that it may be met by ingratitude indifference anger or anguish may mm. i offer love knowing that i cannot control the course of life suffering or death may i find the inner resources to truly be able to give may i be peaceful and let go of expectations may i accept things as they are may i see my limits compassionately just as i view the suffering of others mm. and so it's partly also even in our moments that we would consider less honorable <laughs> that we also exercise compassion with ourselves and recognize that that children often are very forgiving and have a grace that yes. they often will easily extend to us Absolutely. that is so beautiful and it, and, and and it's not it's mm-hmm. it's we don't reciprocate that um <laughs> we, you know i mean if i think about it we could we could snap completely and lose our cool mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and your child is going to be okay with you within the next what 5 6 minutes it mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um it it's 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 fine but when it works the other way around <laughs> um sometimes we're not a, so quick to move on we're, we're not right and yes. so we are holding our children to a higher standard than the standard we we have for ourselves yes <laughs> yes and, I, that, and 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 sometimes i don't get that i'm like okay um they yell and it's a lack of respect and and you're you're grounded you've got your time out and that was disrespectful and da 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 mm-hmm. um but it's double standards because mm-hmm. we may snap and yet we don't hold ourselves mm-hmm. accountable to to mm-hmm. similar consequences yes 
One, one thing that I think is so important, because we've been focusing on some, some, you know, how we deal with the problems and, and maybe we can also shift to talk about how we recognize the good and the compassionate yes. acts that we have the blessing to witness. And Absolutely. maybe I'll I'll tell a little story about. Um, Please do, and and before before you yes. start as well, it's really important because I speak to all our listeners every time that when we speak about the virtues, you really cannot guide or correct behavior mm-hmm. before you've ever acknowledged that behavior. Mm-hmm. So when whenever you see children demonstrating, um, you know, a certain virtue, whether they're being patient or whether they've put things back in their place and they've shown orderliness, yes. you know. Or they've actually shown self-discipline. They haven't needed to be reminded about something. Or they've, they've, they've worked so hard on something, they haven't given up and they've shown determination. Mm-hmm. We have to acknowledge them and we have to provide them the evidence. Yes. So that, that, that rooting that you were speaking about, Mary, it's mm-hmm. really important because they need to believe that they possess these things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That they possess these qualities, these virtues. Mm-hmm. So in the future, if we're correcting them, they know what it feels like. They, they, mm-hmm. they understand it because they've been acknowledged for that before. Yes. So, you know, I, I, yes, let's, let's, let's listen to what you have to say about that. Well, it's interesting because when you look at moral development theories, often mm. they talk about how really not until the age of eight can a child consistently engage in perspective taking where they are truly seeing someone else's perspective, you know, seeing through someone else's eyes and being able to be empathetic. But I think so many of us, I'm sure, have examples of when they've seen even a very, very young child be able to demonstrate empathy and compassion. So one example from my life of that was I was, I had just had my fourth child and, or no, it was my fifth child. And uh, my four-year-old at the time, he said, mom, I want to make you dinner. And, <laughs> and, you know, it was so beautiful, but I knew that I would kind of have to stand back and hold my tongue a little bit and just let him exercise Absolutely. this compassion in his own way. And so we had a, a beautiful garden in our yeah. backyard. And so he went to the garden and he gathered vegetables and he just chop those vegetables and I wouldn't let him use anything sharper than a butter knife, <laughs> but yeah, he yeah. chopped the, the vegetables with the butter knife, even carrots. And yeah. he put them in the soup. And of course I supervised as he, you know, turned on the burner and things like that, but I really let him make me the soup and it tasted like pure charity. It was the most delicious soup that, that I had tasted because all of his love and care went into the soup. That's just amazing. And yeah. it was it was such a beautiful thing. Yeah. So, and I think that sometimes we underestimate kids' interest in developing these attributes, but really if we will give them experiences to practice them, yeah. then often they will grab hold because it feels good to does, yeah. exercise compassion, for example, and yeah. to to be engaging in in goodness and service. I, I remember one of my sons wanted to have a birthday party and and I said, well, what about going to this local food packing place and packing potatoes for the food shelves? And he said, well, 
sure, yeah, let's do that. And so he, he gathered these 12-year-old boys, and they together packed 2,000 pounds of potatoes. And one of the boys at the end said, this is the most fun birthday party I've ever come to. And I, it, it was so interesting to me because you would think that, you know, they might be like, oh, my goodness, what a drag <laughs> to be doing this work. But they were joyful. And, Absolutely. And so... I think that if we give our kids opportunities to yeah. engage in these actions, yeah. in these compassionate acts, then sometimes the feelings can come later. But sometimes yes. the feelings are there first, and that's a beautiful thing too, and we can recognize those. Yeah, yeah, and I hear that really loud and clear. I think we, should, mm -hmm. we definitely you know, should not rob our children of their experiences, mm -hmm. especially when they're taking that initiative. We should not be robbing those experiences because we think of you know, what may happen later. Oh, you know, it's going to be too dangerous. Oh, it's going to be too messy for me to clean up later. Right. Oh, it's going to be... We, we think about all those other things that we need to do. And what we may have done is just completely shut that door. You know, right. you don't know the next time he's going to tell you, Mama, <laughs> Mama I want to make you soup. But right. the, time, the time that you allowed him to mm -hmm. make him soup, that particular mm -hmm. experience, that's a step mm -hmm. towards something else. It, it's mm -hmm. so hard. You can only connect dots backwards, right? Right. So when the experience presents itself, mm -hmm. yes, of course, you know, I, I can understand that, that there are many situations in our lives where we can't just completely stop and, and attend to every single desire and need that they have. But mm -hmm. being purposeful and being intentional, I think, is if you aren't able to at that time, is to make a note of it and yes. say, you know, mommy's really busy or daddy's really busy at the moment. Um, you know, I can't help you with that, but mm -hmm. come and have a look at my calendar here and let's yes. pick a time because I really right. want to do this with you. Yes. Right. And, and empower mm -hmm. them and say, like, I'm making the time. I want to commit mm -hmm. um, to making the time to doing this with you. So, so I definitely don't mean that drop everything and do it right. at that moment in time, but make a commitment that we mm -hmm. are going to do it, you know. Um, I and think that's really important. Richard, it's interesting because as you mentioned that about connecting the dots, and and utilizing those opportunities because we don't know when they'll come again. I just realized that my son, who now is 17, the same son who made me soup, he helped cook dinner tonight as I was working <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> he, so, so I was working on, you know, getting some things together and he just kind of took over and started chopping the vegetables and the meat and 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 that was just a fun realization just now as you were speaking. <laughs> it was all well, because I let him make that soup. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's really powerful. We, we don't realize mm -hmm. you know, every single positive action or every single negative action, mm -hmm. it leads to something else. Yes. You know, and, and our, own, our own insecurities, if we allow that to rub off on them, Mm -hmm. will become their own insecurities as well, mm -hmm. you know, as we get older. So if we are preventing our children from doing things, so that was cooking, but let's say they're about, they, 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 they're about to demonstrate courage. They want to take some kind of risk. Right. And, and we are fearful of that. Mm -hmm. So our insecurities will end up becoming mm -hmm. theirs, but it mm -hmm. may manifest itself in a different way. It may not mm -hmm. be exactly mm -hmm. the same thing, mm -hmm. you know, um, but that fear or whatever it is. So, so I feel we need to be very purposeful and, and, and mindful, I guess, about, what yes. it is that our children want to do and yes. how we can allow them to do it. And you were speaking about empathy and starting young. Yes. You'll know that you're an academic. You'll know this more than <laughs> me. But I, I definitely read it somewhere that mm -hmm. in, in a maternity ward mm. that they had all these babies in a room. Mm. 
and they put on a sound of a baby crying from a phone mm. that basically was not authentic mm. and the children didn't respond mm. you know but mm-hmm. the moment another baby actually cried within the mm. same ward that other baby started crying it was something along those lines but it the the conclusion of it all was that they start feeling empathy uh much earlier than they're able to express it yes have you heard then, something like that yeah and i think so much comes to from like the idea of empathy and compassion at the very young ages relate to them following the modeling that they're receiving and um it's kind of the the mirror neurons that have been spoken of about you know when they have a feeling then they want to see that mirrored in their caregiver and they learn this reciprocation but mm. it, it that is fascinating that even just newborn babies you know i think we are hardwired to care about each other and yeah. and i think that's such a a beautiful thing yeah um so and when you think about things in a developmental context one thing that i immediately think of when i when i think about how to teach virtues to children i think of stories because mm. that is such a powerful way to allow kids to experience different scenarios just vicariously so mm. they can identify the feelings of other characters or people in these contexts and anticipate how they might be feeling and what they might need and of course as we're going about things in our daily experience we can point out things we can you know we're at the park with our child and we see someone who's crying and say look at that boy how do you think he feels what yeah. why do you think he feels this way mm. what do you think he needs but yes. also in a story you can do the same thing if you're reading to your children you can pause when someone is expressing an emotion and say why do you think they're feeling this way absolutely what do you think they need what what needs to be done and so i yeah. think that all along our way there's so many opportunities for teaching and bringing out this natural compassion and empathy that is really built in absolutely yeah it's called uh, in 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 the strategies uh, of 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 the virtues it's called recognizing teachable moments yes um yeah it's something really simple as you said through stories mm-hmm. i mean we're reading i think eric carl's book uh, walter the baker <laughs> and uh and my son you know he gets really upset when the duke and duchess get really mad and want to throw walter out of the mm-hmm. uh you know out of the kingdom or whatever simply because um he didn't make the rolls right right the yes. milk spilled and added water and then he he understands i mean from a very young age he knew that you know he wasn't being honest mm-hmm. because he used water mm-hmm. instead of the milk and the mm-hmm. duke and duchess you know wasn't being tolerant or they were not being caring mm-hmm. so these are all the types of things you know and and then you can ask them how do you think they can do this better right you know what yes. would have made it better mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. yes he could have been more honest he could have told them that you know the rolls weren't made the way they liked it today and and mm-hmm. you know he'd bring the fresh ones tomorrow for example that would have mm-hmm. stopped the mm-hmm. entire thing from from <laughs> yeah. going wild and what a what a fun way to teach children how to respond to situations mm-hmm. because we are so reactive in this instant world mm-hmm. everything is so you know they need to have everything on demand mm-hmm. yeah i had to wait you had to wait one whole week for the next episode to air on <laughs> network tv 
And right now it's binge watching, right? Right. And you've got little children saying, when's the next season coming out? I don't know when the next season is coming out because everything is so on demand. Yes. And I feel they really need to learn, mm-hmm. you know, how to pause and how to reflect. And through stories, that's really important because mm-hmm. a lot of them have a climax. So you can sort of pause and go back and say, right, you know, what could have stopped that from happening? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's, it's really important. Parents, Mary. Um, I, I spoke about modeling earlier and, you know, you, you spoke about a lot of it as well. But what do parents need to do um, to show that they can integrate this in their relationships? Because our children see how we are connecting with one another. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the way they see how we connect with one another will help them form solid relationships as they go along. So what are you sort of sensing with parents nowadays in the work that you're doing? What are they going through? Um, and what sort of advice would you give to parents as far as compassion or any of the virtues are concerned? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, there's an interesting exodus from organized religion that is happening. And I feel like people are getting disconnected from community. And that's even more the case now in the pandemic. And, and we're, we're, we're wishing for it and we're longing for it. But um, I think that we need to find ways for our kids to see that we are trying to develop these virtues and we are trying to improve ourselves. And it comes partly that when we make a mistake or when we feel like we've interacted in a way that we don't feel happy with that we create a a place where repair can happen and we can have open dialogue and say, you know, I really wish that I would have said this or I wish I would have done this and I'm sorry. And, or can we redo that? Because I think that that just models uh, a sense of growth. And then Mm. also as we in our own lives can have certain routines and traditions of um, devotion or worship of some sort, you know, whatever our tradition is, if they can Mm. see that in our own lives, then it's more natural for them to see that as being a part of their life. And, and I know that, that, You've spoken this about this on the podcast before that we, as parents, can set a tone of, you know, setting certain traditions within our family. Um, but I think all of that, really, holding on to faith and holding on to faith communities, even if we see imperfections and. Mm. You know, we we have questions. You know, so many times parents are almost afraid to talk about spirituality with their kids because they think, well, I don't know all the answers. But I think that we need to not be afraid and we need to be able to have deep conversations with our children Absolutely. and even yeah. say, I don't know. How could we find out? That's a good question. Um, and and sometimes it's it's the teenagers, too, that will point out some discrepancies and yeah. and we have to respect that and recognize that even as they're questioning certain things often it's coming from a place of integrity that yes. they're noticing incongruities and um 
sometimes as parents, we think of ourselves as being the ones that are, you know, doling out a moral education, but really our children are also instructing us. It's this mutual growth that they're calling forth the best in us. And yes. so I think that we can be open to some some of their ideas and perhaps some of their critique. And, you know, when they pick up on our hypocrisies or our um, incongruities and, you know, we can model devotional practices, we can model process and that, that we're trying to grow and get better. Yeah. I think, you know, that's when faith and hope kind of comes mm -hmm. in as well mm -hmm. um, when when teenagers are speaking about it I know you know and especially in school settings that's when they really start speaking out start challenging norms and the status quo and stuff like that mm -hmm. and and we get that and I think parents shouldn't be as you said you know afraid of having those conversations mm -hmm. I think it's much more important that they have these kind of conversations in a safe space and 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 receive you know your advice um, and if not your advice even your wisdom and your thought process um, rather than being judgmental about it, at least they know as parents where you stand or what mm -hmm. these families, you know, the, the family's values are. Mm -hmm. um, and it's okay to say that, you know, yes, we don't have all the answers, but that's where faith comes in. Right. And it's, imp it's important to have that anchor because mm -hmm. as much as human beings, you know, have lived for what thousands and thousands of years, we don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where faith comes in. And if you look at, all the philosophers, you know, of, of yesteryears, a lot of them have basically come towards the end and said, you know, I've, I've learned everything to the point that I've realized that I know nothing. Yes. So when we, <laughs> when we, start, when we start looking, you know, at, at the great thinkers of the past, because, you know, we claim to be standing on their shoulders, towards the end of their lives, towards the end of their careers, all of them have basically said that we've learned everything to the point that actually... Um, you know, we've only realized the true insignificance. Mm -hmm. So we have to have faith that for every creation, there is a creator, whatever you believe that creator is. And, um, and have faith in the process, I guess. You mm -hmm. know? We, there's no way for us to realize that level of, that level of truth while we are at this level. Right. right? Mm -hmm. you, when you're starting, when you're comprehending A, Bs and Cs, you can't comprehend you know, university level psychology. So right. at a very simple level, we have a certain limitation, what our threshold mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. as human beings. And there is something beyond that. And unless we get to that point, um, it's, hard to, it's hard to sort of understand. And I'm okay to be saying that to my child. I don't understand. Mm -hmm. But I know that there is something greater and I have that faith. Mm -hmm. that's, that's all it is. Mm -hmm. Right? So, yeah, no, I, I, I really resonate with what you're saying uh, as far as that is concerned as well. Let's let's move on towards uh, the practice of, of compassion, mm -hmm. Mary, and, and reflect on that as well. You've got the card with you. Yes. Um, let's, let's read the quote from the uh, Dalai Lama first before we get to the practice. Sure. It says, if you want others to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. It's simple, isn't it? Yes. It's simple. And, and I like it because you spoke about that earlier. Maybe you can reflect on that again. But you mm -hmm. spoke about how we need to take care of ourselves first mm -hmm. and, then, and then to others and the oxygen mm -hmm. masks on the plane, yourself <laughs> yes. first and then the child. And so, yes. so what do you have to say for that? I think that it's just important to recognize that often the way that we are going to 
reflect towards the world and towards others, it starts out with how we're treating ourselves. Yeah. And so I think that if, if you feel as a parent that perhaps you're being critical and nagging and judgmental of your children, then you're probably doing the same thing to yourself. And we all perform better when we're in an, an environment where we're embraced and cherished and um, celebrated. And, yeah. and where, where people are trying to point out the good of our intention. And so if we can create that for others, um, we can start by creating it for ourselves. For ourselves. Yes. We are not always in a situation that everyone around us will keep acknowledging us for what we do. I right. think, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of families, you know, that have very different kind of dynamics and, and you're not always going to get that. Um, especially, you know, in, in our side of the world, this whole way of speaking is only starting to sort of gain traction and awareness now. Mm -hmm. You know, otherwise we don't speak like that. We, we, we don't have the necessity to emote as much, you know, especially mm -hmm. with, uh, you know, with, with our parents and our grandparents. It's, it's just never been the norm. Mm -hmm. um, so this is further highlighted at times like this when there is a greater need for validation mm -hmm. and you don't get it. So where is that being happy with yourself, practicing compassion with yourself, that self-care, that self-love, you know, going to come from? What does that actually look like to an individual that is not getting it from outside themselves? What do you suggest to them? Well, I think it starts out by just presence because um, our lives are experienced in the present moment. And if we can actually connect with the present moment at certain times and we're giving ourselves a gift of mm. kindness you know for example you know that we can actually you know sit down and eat a meal and let ourselves actually taste the food or take a bath and feel the warmth or be outside and actually feel the ground beneath our feet um, just that presence and that awareness is a gift to ourselves. that if we're too hurried and um, distracted that that we're not receiving and and it becomes just less enjoyable in our day-to-day -day yeah. experience and and even just looking at our children so we can just be you know looking at our phone and talking to our kids and and but when was the last time that you looked at your children looked them at them really looked at them and and that will be giving yourself a gift because yeah. there's something very beautiful there. And so I think that that's the first step of self-care is just to return to your own skin and be able to actually enjoy the moments of your life by being present in them. Yeah. Um, and then it is also just having grace for the moments when you do struggle and recognize recognizing that each day is new and that problems can be repaired yeah, so absolutely. so those are a couple ideas but. No, that's beautiful mm -hmm. beautiful advice um the practice of compassion mary mm -hmm. so we've got would you um, like me to read that say. Yes. yes can you please okay. read the practice of compassion thank you i notice when someone is hurt or needs a friend i feel empathy for the pain of others i take time to reach out to those who need help i care for others by listening deeply I refrain from judging. I have compassion for myself. Mm. Uh, 
Yeah, I think when, when I look at that, when I read that, I think we've covered quite a bit of that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, during this talk as well. What, what sticks out to you? Well, I think that one thing that sticks out is taking time. Because yeah. a lot of times we don't, that's the one thing we don't feel like we have, particularly as a busy yeah. parent. And, and it does take time to hear people and see people and to be with people. And so it's a matter of choices of what we will take time for. And, and at the same time, it was so interesting. I was talking with this mindfulness teacher recently, and they were talking too about how um, we have the sense that being in a meditative state or being in a compassionate state needs to take time, but maybe sometimes it doesn't to actually, you know, I remember one time, for example, that um, I was living in Minnesota and there was this major snowstorm and um, I had to drive from one place to another. And I realized that I would be passing this mom's house who had lots of small children and her husband was often out of town. And I just called her saying, is there anything you need? I'm passing your house anyway. And And she said, actually, we're out of milk. And I said, okay, I'll just grab a gallon of milk from my fridge and I'll bring it and I'll drop it off when I'm passing by anyway. And so I think though compassion and, and relationships take time, sometimes we can actually do a lot of connecting as we go. And as we're just open and aware of opportunities that are in front of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, no, I completely agree mm-hmm. with that. What what really stuck stuck out for me was refraining from judging. Mm-hmm. Uh, simply because I feel it's so hard for some people, uh, myself included, um, to show compassion when you're already judging whether the person was right or wrong mm. in whatever it is that they did. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, your child does something wrong. Um you know, let's say he goes and does something at school and, and you know he's wrong and we're already judging them for the behavior. Um, and it's much more difficult for us to come around and be compassionate towards mm-hmm. the child mm-hmm. um, because of that. And and that's where I feel that level of detachment mm-hmm. is required mm-hmm. because, you know, only if we detach and if we offer that receptive silence, like we said at the beginning, they need to be heard with mm-hmm. compassion. And the only way they can do that is, is for us not to judge. Mm-hmm. Then only can they actually say, yes, actually, you know, I yes. could have been more caring. Mm-hmm. I could have cooperated with my friend. They, they, they will identify what they could have done in a very non-defensive way. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if we go in there and we say, why did you do that? Mm-hmm. We're more concerned about how embarrassed we are that we got the call right. from school or the note from mm-hmm. school. But when we are purposefully parenting, we have to parent at that time, not not worry about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and, if, and if our child does not want to tell us, the child ends up wanting to take care of our reactions and their own needs. Right. <laughs> you know, at, at that moment in time, the yes. child, oh, I better not say this because mom's going to get upset or dad's going to get upset. Mm-hmm. So the child sort of switches the mode and says, I'm going to take care mm-hmm. of mom and dad rather than take care of myself. Mm-hmm. Right. Do, do you mm-hmm. see that happening? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes even if we come down really hard on our children at certain times, then out of a sense of self-protection, they 
reject the message that we're giving because mm. of the way it's administered. <laughs> Whereas, yeah. you know, if we, if we can truly just state what needs to be stated, but do it in a respectful manner, then our kids don't have this barrier that they've put up, you know, Absolutely. out of self-preservation. <laughs> so they're, they're receptive. So I think in, in any of these things, relationship, in, in transmitting values, relationship is one of the main foundational pieces that make, make it possible. What do you say, just, just as we end, I yes. always get this from, from parents, you know, when, whenever we're trying to speak about positive language and all of mm -hmm. this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I always get this from parents. We turned out okay. Yes. Right? Our parents didn't have to say this to us. We are tough and we weren't born with a golden spoon and, you know, all of those uh, metaphors that are used. Um, what do you say to parents who say we turned out okay? Well, I think that it is amazing and wonderful how resilient children are, but that's not an excuse to not step up and be the best parents that we can be and to try to increase our awareness and to mm. um, try to use skill and intention and authenticity in a really powerful way. So there's no yeah. reason to just not go forward and and parent the best we can <laughs> just because yeah. of the resilience of children. We'll need that anyway, because no matter Absolutely. how hard we try and how virtuous and lovely we become, um, we will fall short. And, and so that is a wonderful, wonderful thing that yeah. kids do turn out anyway, usually. <laughs> so <laughs> Thank you. Mm -hmm. Mary, it's been an absolute pleasure. An absolute pleasure to speak with you today. I think you've spoken with compassion. And um, you, wh whatever you've shared, not only have you shared from experience, but the wisdom with which you've shared it, 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 it comes so easily. And, and there's, there's that sim simplicity and sincerity, um, which, which, which I think is really, really important whenever we're speaking to parents for them to understand that this is relatable, mm -hmm. this is important, but it's not, you know, sort of bearing down on you. It's something that we can do. It's, 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 it's progress. Um, and, and, and I think you speak with a lot of grace as well. You know, I, you. I, I think a lot of parents will, will sit down and, and, and have a listen and definitely be able to take a couple of things um, to be able to implement straight away, if not for their children, at least that self-care and taking care of themselves first. Yes. You know, I think it's really important. So thank you. It's been such an honor to speak to you today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Mary, how can parents, um, you know, find out more about you or get in touch with you? Maybe you can share some ways in which they can connect with you as well. Sure. So I have a parenting Facebook group that's called Parenting Well, Raising Compassionate and Productive Humans. <laughs> and mm. so that is a free Facebook community that I lead. And then I also have various online resources, including my Compassion Parenting Program, that you can learn more about by going to drmarywild.com. So that's D-R-M-A-R-Y-W-I-L-D-E.com. Excellent. And I'll put all of this stuff in the show notes as well. And for all our listeners, you know where to find us. We are at Family of Virtues on Instagram and Facebook. And of course, on our website, familyofvirtues.com. I honor all of you for your commitment um, and listening in so that we can be better parents and um, for, for, for our children. And may God bless us all. Thank you so much. Thank you.